You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So, lots of different things to talk about today. I'll talk a little bit about the salary cap, kind of just in terms of, I guess, strategy. I do think it's kind of interesting the way the salary cap works if you just kind of look at how incredibly top-heavy it is and how teams kind of strategize. You know, we talked about how, what up, dance party? Gotta love an early dance party. Come on, man. I turned you off. What are you? <laughs> you getting sassy with me now? You getting lippy? I'm not turning off. And you will turn off. Dance when I want to dance. But just in terms, like like I said, if you average it out, what did I say it was? Like three, four million per player. But yet you've got thirty million dollar, twenty million dollar, all these contracts. And then you know how do you, how do you survive? How do you make that work? How do you average this whole thing out? I guess it's just kind of interesting looking at that and kind of thinking of maybe different ways you can go about doing it as opposed to the way we're doing it now, which is pay a quarterback and then uh, throw $10 million at about three or four players and then everybody else gets nothing. Uh, Look at wide receivers, whatever, whatever. I guess you'll find out when we get there, right? And I will too, because this is why I don't tell you things early, because it's not going to happen. I'm going to end up talking about something else. Speaking of not keeping promises, uh, this is not keeping my promise number 575. Came home today to get up the next pick in our little Facebook group mock draft and found out that um, the family had decided that all the tabs I had open were not very important and they should probably go away because they were done with the internet. And if they're done with the internet, dad's done with the internet. And that's how that goes. So whatever. It was fun while it lasted. Thank you guys for playing along. Who did we get? Oliver, Fant. I don't remember. I know we got a guard, the Wisconsin guy. I think a running back was about to win, which makes sense if those simulations are any bit correct, which to an extent they probably are because our understanding of what's going on this year is that there's a big pile of running backs, very few of whom are first-round guys, and the one guy that was seen as a lock first round ran like a 4-6-something, and everyone's saying that's kind of trash, and he was expected to be really fast. I think a lot of people thought he was going to be like a 4-4 guy, so he might not even be a first-round guy anymore. I mean, he was already a late first, just because it's, you know, yeah, you're good, but you're a running back. Now he's just seen as, like, a guy, and everyone's saying maybe Montgomery's a better back. So anyways, not very top-heavy. Maybe one or two or three that are second-round guys, a couple third-round, but then you start getting into the later rounds, and it's like, yeah, we got we got some people now. So third-round, fourth-round, fifth-round. And again, how many teams need running backs and take running backs as opposed to other need just kind of creates a bottleneck where more people that are running backs become available than our teams interested in taking running backs. So I would expect to get one in the mid to latter rounds. Uh, The other draft thing that I've been talking about, which is to do a one-on-one, 
I'm still planning on doing it. It's just kind of a complication in terms of logistics. My time, your time, and then how to go about doing it. It's going to take some time, but we'll get there. Probably just going to have to be a weekend thing. We'll see. Any whoosie what? Phone number for the podcast. If anybody would like to call in, text in with a question or for a comment regarding the Green Bay Packers, commonly referred to as What Grinds My Gears, TM. The phone number for that is 608-501-0718. I hope somebody else got that. 608-501-0718. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So let's start with the cap. Uh, the first thing before we get into that whole strategy thing I was talking about, which technically comes from a question, I want to just clarify something that most of you probably know, but just something to kind of keep in the back of your mind. So I want to look at Jimmy Graham's contract. There's a question about whether we're keeping him, which, you know, when you pay a guy a $5 million roster bonus, you can pretty much be sure that he's going to be on the team. Not that he has to be, but I'm just saying, we just threw $5 million away if uh, the plan is to cut him. But anyways, what I want to point to is the idea that let's just look at it as it stands now. If we were to cut him, we would save $333,000. So basically nothing. The only real clarification I would make is that's not entirely true. That's not the whole story. In terms of total dollars, not just looking at 2019, there's a big difference between cutting him and not cutting him. And just just me saying that sentence should be pretty evident. But it's something to be considered. Saying that we shouldn't cut him because we only save $300,000 is not correct. And I get, you know, Jimmy Graham is a bad example because we already paid him his roster bonus, so we should keep him. But this is just an example. As far as the money Jimmy Graham is going to get, there's different piles of money. There's also cap charges. So his signing bonus is distributed across his the remainder of his contract. That has to count against the cap no matter what. The Packers will have to account for that. They had to account for that on their balance book the year that they signed him, last year, obviously, because it's cash. And it will account against the cap because it has to. So there's nothing we can do about that money. The other money there's nothing we can do about is guaranteed money. But with typical Packers fashion, the only guaranteed money was his signing bonus. So as far as the cap is concerned, and as far as you know, cash flow and, and the, the balance book, that's already done, that's already in the past. So the only money that is left to consider is do we want to continue paying Jimmy Graham extra money, unguaranteed money, money that he is not um, guaranteed. We don't have to pay him that. Well, this year he has a base salary of $3.45 million. If he plays, we have to pay him that. There's also other unguaranteed money, like his per-game roster bonus, his workout bonus. That's money that we don't have to pay him that we will have to if we keep him on the team. Beyond that, we have cap dollars next year if we cut him next year, even if he doesn't play a a single snap, meaning against the cap we have to pay, by keeping him, $12.666.666 million. Then next year we have to pay $3.6 million dollars. And of course, that dollar amount goes up to 11.6 if he actually plays. But if we did cut him today, we save 300,000 this year, and we save ourselves 3.6 million dollars next year. But the other way to look at that, because the 3.6 has to be paid whether it's this year or next year, 
In terms of total dollars, we saved 3.45 in base salary. We would have saved $5 million in roster bonus had we cut him prior to him signing his $5 million roster bonus. And we would save $300,000 per game roster bonus and $250,000 workout bonus. So these are all real dollars. And they're all real things that have to be considered. And I think just looking at it in terms of should we cut them, well, I don't know. It only saves $300,000. It's not really worth it. It's not really true. Again, Jimmy Graham is a bad example because we paid him $5 million. Cutting him at this point is ridiculous. But just something to consider. You can't just look at the cap savings this year. There's actual cash for the team. because, And that's the other thing, too, that maybe I'm not articulating properly. A lot of that $12.3 million, over $7 million of it, is that prorated bonus that's already been paid accelerating into this year. So it's a cap charge, but it's not cash. The Packers aren't actually paying that. So the $12.3 million, if we cut them, would be the the signing bonus, which the Packers already paid, and then the $5 million that the Packers just paid. And everything else just disappeared. But again, the $5 million is the only actual cash that they paid, and if we had cut them beforehand, the Packers would have... And, and, and that does matter to the team. There is an actual accountant, and there is real money to be dealt with here. This isn't all just funny money. So Russ Ball not only has to manage the cap, but he's, he's got to be conscious of actual cash flow to the team. So I'm sure the Packers and the board and the team accountant, I'm sure they're all, uh, I'm sure they would all appreciate it. Although Russ Ball, who has to manage the cap, kind of looks at it and says it's not all that beneficial. He would be able to go to the people that are managing the money and say, guess what, we're paying Jimmy Graham basically nothing this year. And they wouldn't be. They're not paying his base salary because that's not guaranteed. They're not paying his prorated bonus, which is accelerated up to about $7.5 because they already paid that. They're not paying his $5 million roster bonus because they already got that. They're not giving him a per-game roster bonus because he's not playing any of the games. They're not giving him a workout bonus because he's not working out. So the Packers, in terms of real dollars, would have paid him $0, and Jimmy Graham would have gotten $0 despite the fact that there's a $12.3 million cap hit. So, you know, when I say things like it doesn't make sense because there's only $300,000 in savings, well, no, there's a $12.6 million savings to the Packers in terms of real dollars. There's also over $4 million in cap savings if you look long-term. So that's that, Jack. I want to roll that into another question. This is something I've been kicking around for a long time, and it's there's, wow, double dance party. What's going on? This, by the way, is a good um, a good lesson in how much actual recording time you're hearing compared to how much actual time is elapsing that alarm was a half hour ago even though you heard it probably about eight minutes ago so these things take time but something and i've been thinking this over for a very long time but it's there's just so much to consider it's really hard to kind of manage it all in my brain but let me just read this uh comment i guess this is from steven and in little tiny ways i've touched on it but let me just read this Again, this is from Steven, if I didn't say so, in the Facebook group. Which, by the way, is another way if you want to get questions or thoughts or whatever. Even if it's not meant to be on the podcast. Sorry, bruh. You said it. I'm talking about it. If I were ever a GM in the NFL, I would never keep a quarterback on a second or let alone third contract. I feel like the NFL is out there trying to get quarterbacks that are elite, then sign them to huge contracts. In turn, this kills the team's cap, and the team's growth usually ends up being stunted. I don't feel this way about any team specifically, just all teams. If I was a GM, I'd try to build a top five defense every year, uh, and then just keep drafting quarterbacks every four or five years, let them play out their rookie contracts. So from here, he kind of goes on further strategizing. But I'm going to leave it at that. Because I really think that this is and kind of needs to be, it, it doesn't need to be. There's a formula now. It works to an extent. 
but I think teams would really like to be able to find a way to make this work. And I, I think the part of the reason I'm excited about watching teams like what the Eagles did, what the Vikings did, what a lot of these teams did who kind of made real big pushes without top-tier quarterbacks is kind of interesting. And the general formula seems to be get a – and, it, you know, we, we talk about a, a rookie quarterback, and that seems to be the easiest way because they're super cheap. But when the Vikings made a push a couple years ago, it wasn't a rookie. It was just a really cheap backup. When the Eagles won a Super Bowl, it wasn't with a rookie, even though they had a guy in a rookie contract. That's the guy that was all busted up. The guy that won a Super Bowl was their backup. So I think there's more than one way to skin a cat. I don't know that for sure. I've never tried. I mean, I would assume there's multiple ways. I don't super like thinking about it, but I do like getting literal at inappropriate times, so I'm kind of at a crossroads here. But getting back to football, let's turn back to the salary cap quickly. Because when you've got you know, a fixed cap, and you've got a fixed roster amount, right? 51 players count against the cap. And let's just say you've got $200 million to play with. Let's just say you, you, you have a $4 million average. And I've, I've, I've already touched on this, but it, it does create a bit of a problem. And there's, there's a, a general strategy as to how to go about doing this. You pay out big money for your quarterback, You've got a handful of guys that are $10 million plus. For the Packers at this time, it's Mike Daniels, Devontae Adams, Jimmy Graham, and David Bakhtiari. You've got a couple other guys that are about $5 million and above, or I should say above the $4 million you know, line, which is Billy Turner now at 4.2 this year. Crosby, Taylor, Amos, Preston Smith, Tremont, Zadarius, uh, Corey Lindsley, and Brian Balaga are below 10 but above the 4 average. And then you have to have a, a plurality a massive amount of people that are below and also well below, right? The number of people between a million and under the $4 million mark are Josh Jones, Josh Jackson, Jason Spriggs, Kevin King, Geronimo Allison, Mercedes Lewis, uh, Dean Lowry, Blake Martinez, Kyler Fackrell, Jair Alexander, Kenny Clark, and that's it. Seems like a lot, but it's only 11. So out of 51, 11 are between 1 million and 4 million, and then 14 are above 4 million. So 26, about half the team, aren't even making a million dollars. Kaiser, Montrevious, Oren Burks, Capri Bibbs, Jamal Williams, Trevor Davis, Dan Vitale, Aaron Jones, Jamon Moore, Deion Sims, Adam Pankey, right? All these guys. And this is kind of the, the, the big point here, and it's a big part of the reason why you need to understand the, the value of draft and develop and why free agency is, is not a valid strategy and why even when I talked about redraft and it's cool to do redraft but redraft is going to get us our Zadarius Smith to get us that guy who's getting his second contract because we were drafting so poorly but if you need 50% of your team to be making less than a half or less than a million dollars how in the world are you going to do that if you're not drafting guys in the mid to later rounds that are contributors because first round draft picks are million bucks Josh Jones was a second-round pick. He's up to 1.4 at this point. This is a really important part of the roster. But how much does that change as a percentage if quarterbacks, let's say, go from $30 million down to $20 million? And again, this, this is kind of the interesting thing about is there another way? Because this is just a way, right? Roster salary cap distribution. You know, if, if quarterbacks are averaging in and around, you know, let's say starting quarterbacks at this point are valued at about $30 million, you know, top tier, obviously, they're getting more. We're, we're probably pushing, depending on who gets a contract, you know, 35. But I'm just saying, like, on average, like, if you took the top 10 guys and said, okay, evaluate, all, you know, give me a valuation on all these guys, I would guess it's around 30. But that's 15% of $200 million. So about 15% of your total cap. 
that's a lot when you got 51 guys to account for. And again, in general, you, you can you can take a position and say, this is how value, valuable you are, so this is how much cap you get. So your left tackle generally makes about this much, and your, you know, your number one cornerback, your number one wide receiver, your, your number one edge rusher, and hopefully you find somebody that's that valuable and you can pay him that much money, and then you mix in some good draft picks. So like our number one corner, why are we able to pay him so much or so little because of X, Y, and Z? The good thing about it, though, is that while every other team, and I, you know, I struggle to come up with just whatever numbers, but just pretend these are all funny numbers. Let's say most teams are doing 15% to their uh, quarterback, and then that number drops to like 8 for your left tackle, you know, 10 for your pass rusher, whatever. And that's just kind of what everybody's doing. Well, then you go into free agency, and everybody kind of has those same numbers, right? Some teams are going to go, you know, blow it out, going after this, that, or the other. But as a general rule, if your quarterback is making $20 million instead of $30 million, well, then you redistribute not just the actual cap dollars, but that 5%. Right? Instead of you paying your quarterback 15% of the salary cap, you're only paying him 10%. So you take that 5% and you can redistribute it. And it doesn't just have to be top-tier guys. right? How much money do you pay your number two cornerback? How much money do you pay your number two pass rusher? How much money do you pay your, your, your free safety? Suddenly you're a team that just pays your other guys more. Now you have a better chance of not only signing free agents, but retaining your guys. Because on the open market in general, you know, a a number one pass rusher is valued at X percent of the salary cap. So this is what you're getting. However, in Green Bay, because we don't pay our quarterbacks as much, we value you at X plus, you know, 0.75%. So it's not just a matter of, Let's go real cheap on quarterback, and then we'll go all in on defense because it is hard to kind of retain a defense, although it's really hard to find a really good quarterback also. That's worth the amount of money that teams pay quarterbacks. But it's just a matter of we generally are going to pay more at each position, meaning we generally have the ability to find and retain better talent at different positions. Now, ideally, you're still going to have to draft better. Right? None of this matters if you're drafting poorly because, again, half your roster is going to be draft picks, and if half your roster can't perform, you're doomed anyways. But I guess in terms of how this works, I think it really just comes down to being able to replicate what other teams are able to do. But also, I mean, it just it changes our way of thinking about things. And I, I really want it to change because I, I don't like the fact that I'm having heartburn that either we find the next Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre or we're doomed. I don't like that thought. And I'd like to be able to understand what what really happens here. What are some other alternatives? Not that I'm opposed to getting an elite quarterback. We're going to have to draft a quarterback, and hopefully they're awesome. But it would be nice if we got to the point where, let's just say, our, our general philosophy is we're going to draft quarterbacks, and hopefully they pan out. But if not, there's also free agency. And, and what we try to do is we'll offer up, you know, let's say in today's dollars, $12 million. Big chunk of change for whatever. You know, your average football player. Now that's $12 million to come in and play. And if we can win with you, because again, look at look at Nick Foles. He's not an elite quarterback, but he's just enough to get him over the hump. If we've got a good coach that can scheme and can kind of make things work, especially with how the NFL is, is operating now, it's not all this deep passing stuff. That's kind of going in the by the wayside. A lot of it now is simple little dump-off passes to highly athletic football players, and occasionally having a good enough arm to be able to hit the guy down the field when you finally take that chunk play. But otherwise, it's it's a lot of just scheme. So are you good enough to just navigate your way through that? Like Mitch Trubisky, he's not good enough. Maybe he'll get good enough. But that offense is set up in such a way that we just need you to be 
good enough to be able to work your way through this. Because we've stacked our defense, we've got a good amount of talent on offense, and our scheme is good enough. We just need you to stop being terrible. And we have a legitimate chance at that point. And I think when you look at it from that standpoint and you look at the pool of quarterbacks, the pool of quarterbacks that are good enough to take you to the Super Bowl every year because you're Aaron Rodgers-esque is very, very small. And the odds of the Packers getting another one is very close to zero. The pool of quarterbacks that are good enough, if you have a good offensive coordinator, a good head coach that can that can draw up scheme, um, that, that have talented football players that are that are more or less role players, right? You got your speed guy, your route guy, you got your, your go up and get it 50-50 guy. And then to have a, a good defense, the amount of quarterbacks that can navigate that, in other words, just don't lose us the game and just do what I tell you to do as the play is drawn up, suddenly that pool widens quite a bit. And again, to be able to say, okay, let's give you 12, 13, 14 million dollars, whatever, as like a trial run. And if we think you can be that guy, okay, we'll bump you up to 20, 22, 23 million, right? That's big money. But it, it kind of drops you down to the point where you're as valuable as like a top tier pass rusher, right? Still easily the most important person on the field, but not so wildly crazy, you know, important that we just, we can't win without you. We have to pay you whatever it is we have available to us. I'd like to see the NFL go in that direction, and I feel like we're flirting with it right now. We saw it happen with the Eagles. We see some other teams kind of playing with it, right? If the Jaguars are able to have success now with, with Foles, that would be awesome. Not, you know, I don't want them to win a Super Bowl, obviously, as a Packer fan, but it would be great to be able to see a team just spend $20 bucks to get a guy that can just do enough, and, it, you know, a lot of it is going to depend how much can that offense actually do. They don't have any wide receivers, whatever. But I would like to start moving in that direction, and I want to do it kind of quickly because it would be kind of nice once the time comes that Aaron Rodgers is, is about to go out the door, again, we don't have to sit and wonder if we're going to have, it's either going to be another Aaron Rodgers or we're kind of doomed. No, I, w- I want to make sure that other things are in play. It shouldn't just be that one thing. I don't like that it's just that one thing all the time. You know, you need to have a good head coach. You, you need to have, you know, in different ways of doing it. Like maybe you've got a really good offense and your quarterback is a role player in that offense. Maybe you've got a really good defense, and your offense is just kind of complementing your defense, and you just need to not lose the game, right? Put up 20 points, and we win. And again, I do think the NFL is trending in that direction. I mean, again, just look at the NFC North. Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in the NFC North, and we haven't won the division in a while. Look at the Vikings. They had a guy that was considered sort of a a second-tier, kind of backup caliber guy. He got them where they needed to be. I think he was good enough to win him a Super Bowl, right? The team kind of imploded. Yeah, he's not perfect, but everybody has problems. Everybody has bad games, whatever. Well, they decided we want better. We need a, a top-tier guy we're going to throw a ton of money at. So they go out and get that guy, and he's not even as good as that that backup guy, right? Keenum was better than uh, Cousins. Now, in the long run, is Cousins probably going to be a little bit better than Keenum would be? Probably. But I think they just misread it. I think they got stuck in the old school. They got stuck in you got to have your quarterback, and, and they didn't realize that in today's NFL, I don't know that you do, and you kind of were doing it right. Look how much money you would have if you still had Keenum on your team. I mean, you had the guy for $2 million, the Broncos got him for $15 million. Imagine if they had Case Keenum last year for $15 million. And by the way, this year the Redskins have him for $3.5 million. But imagine if after that year they just offered him a long-term deal. And I'm, I'm just talking like maybe three years. Three years, $15 million. Even if it's 20 what did he prove? He proved that he can navigate as a quarterback for the Vikings. Because the fact of the matter is, this team is built around your defense and having two very, 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 very good wide receivers. And Keenum is good enough to get the ball to the guys that actually matter, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Why don't we just build around that? No, 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 we got to have the guy. 
So instead of paying Keenum $15 million, you give Cousins $24 million. And again, instead of paying him, you know, roughly 15, maybe it goes up to 18, whatever. Now we're paying him 29 million. And in 2020, we're paying him 31 million. And you can't cut him because the whole thing is basically 100% guaranteed. Actually, it's not basic. It is. It's 100% guaranteed. He's not going anywhere. 100% guaranteed. 84 million. And you could have had Case Keenum on a 15 million dollar a year. Even if it's 20, you could have done it with with way less guarantees, so it's, if it doesn't work out, you know, you cut them after the second, third year, whatever. You can still draft a quarterback. You can still keep your eyes open in the free agent market. And again, keep throwing money at free agents that are 15, mon- 15 million as opposed to this $30 million guy that isn't even as good as Case Keenum. Point is, we got to break out of that mindset. I don't know if we're there yet, but you look at the massive influx of, of quarterbacks that have come in recently. How many of these guys are going to be free agents by the time Aaron Rodgers is gone? And how many of these guys are going to be good enough to just navigate you know is josh rosen in in five years is he going to be a guy that can kind of just get you there can he get the ball to the playmakers sam darnold josh allen i don't know how many of these guys are going to be franchise guys that are going to stick with their team but then ultimately what happens is is you have a change in the nfl because the reason the 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 salary cap is so high is supply and demand well, the demand changes and the supply changes. If what you need is, let's using PFF as sort of a reference, let's say elite, you want guys in the 90s, well, there's only going to be about three of those guys. So supply is three, demand is 32, that's what shoots the price up. If instead you're just looking for guys in the 70s, well, last year there were 24 guys who had passing grades in the 70s. Suddenly supply and demand changes quite a bit. Then you've got a bunch of guys that are kind of close that maybe could get there. Alex Smith, you know, obviously he's out, but he's one of those guys that was like right on the verge. Jameis Winston, right on the verge. Even Chase Daniel was right there. Case Keenum last year with Denver was kind of right there. In 2017, there were 20, but if you look at just 65 and above, 34. In other words, pretty much every team can get one that's right at that range. Good enough to kind of navigate it, to, to just kind of get you there. What happens is supply and demand. In other words, getting back to... Uh, Steven's point in the Facebook group, Steven's point, (laughs) oh, Wisconsin humor, getting back to Steven in the Facebook group's point, why am I going to give you a second contract if your demand is $30 million or at, at, you know, whatever points at this point, if you want to sign a guy that is, that is top tier, he's saying, I want 35 or I'm leaving to be a hundred thousand percent honest. If Pat Mahomes, if they're trying to negotiate a, a contract with Pat Mahomes and they're trying to get him long term. I don't know if he accepts $35 million a year. I really don't. That's kind of where we're at. And, and the, to his point, again, if, if, if Pat Mahomes comes to the table and says, this is what I want, I got to be honest, my, my answer is I, we're not going to reach an agreement right now. And I know that seems crazy because it's like, dude, Pat Mahomes, I mean, this is different. You, you can't get rid of Pat Mahomes. And it's tough, but I think in general it comes down because I don't know if his market is going to be $35 million anywhere. And what you'll find is somebody's going to throw $35, $36, 37000000 million at him, and it's not going to fix anything. And already look at the Chiefs. Look how hollowed out they are. Look at their defense. They're setting themselves up to be the Green Bay Packers, a team that is, that is entirely dependent on a quarterback making magic happen. And they've lost skill position players, primarily because of off-the-field issues. They've gutted their defense. And they have no real ability to re-sign anybody, not even because they don't have money, but because of the anticipation of massive dollars getting put on some of these guys, specifically Pat Mahomes. It just isn't ideal. 
And as much as it would be nearly impossible to walk away from a guy like Pat Mahomes, I think it's going to take a couple teams saying no, and the NFL in general, because, I mean, that'll be a short period of time. Because eventually the NFL will learn it doesn't pay to pay a guy that well. Once offenses adapt to this new way of, of just kind of dink and dunk nonsense to where, you know, Jared Goff, let's, let's be completely honest. I don't know how good Jared Goff would be on a different team. I'm not trying to discount him. I think he's taken a massive leap. But I don't think it was a coincidence that he was a horrible quarterback and then Sean McVay comes in with sort of this new modern offense and suddenly he's elite, along with some of these wide receivers, right? Scheme is a big part of it. And, and another way to look at it is offenses are pulling way ahead of defenses. So being able to de- beat defenses isn't that hard, and coaches are just simplifying it to the point where a lot of guys are being able to do it. Lesser talented quarterbacks are pulling it off and looking better than superiorly, superiorly talented than better quarterbacks. So I don't know if we're ever going to get there, but I, I, I would like the NFL to trend in that direction. I want at some point teams to start saying enough is enough. I'm not giving you that much. That's silly. Anyway, it's not so much the dollar amount that's always going to go up, but the percentage. The percentage should not be going up. And I guess in reality, I don't know if the percentage is, is, even is going up, but it's still, in terms of strategy, a different way of looking at it. And I think if teams would benefit by being able to lower the, the overall percentage that we're paying quarterback and being able to distribute that other, uh, you know, in other places. Especially if it's an equal playing field in terms of, you know, everybody's kind of got this new offense. So in other words, you got people overpaying for quarterbacks. It's just not necessary because you hit a certain point where it doesn't even really pay to be, I mean, better is always better. But in terms of value, sort of the diminishing returns kind of thing, for every bit better that you are, it's it's not really worth the extra amount of money that we're paying you. Again, going back to the Keenum and Cousins comparison. How much better are the Vikings dollar for dollar? It's it's not even close. They were much better with Keenum. Interesting tidbit, though. I wanted to look at the percentages here. Uh, Brett Favre in 1997 signed a five-year extension for $39.35 million, which is an average of 7.87 per year. According to the Googles, um, in 1997, the salary cap was $41 million, meaning he got 19% of the salary cap. In other words, in today's dollars, that was about $38 million. Now, in 1998, the salary cap just absolutely exploded from 41 to $52 million, making his average about 15% of the cap. Now, I don't know if maybe they knew that this big boom was coming or maybe it was already decided. I, I don't know, but it was only the one year where it was crazy. But at the time, still, imagine somebody signing a you know $38 million contract or something. That's kind of what Brett Favre got in '97. That's a crazy jump. Man, oh man. But anyways, as I said, I'd like to see us move in that direction. And it's why I'm so intrigued by non-top-tier quarterbacks or teams that are not quarterbacked by top-tier quarterbacks kind of going and seeing what they can do. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, Another question that was put in the Facebook group, again, not necessarily for me, but I'm going to take it. This one was put up by Steve. It says, do you think the Jets will want to trade out at number three? What do you think the chances are uh, that Green Bay is the team that moves up? Um, I don't know. There was a time where I felt like it was a foregone conclusion because they really needed to help Sam Darnold. Uh, they, they have to fix this offensive line. I think they still need some help uh, at wide receiver. But you look at the fact that they did add some wide receivers, although I don't think they're all that good. Josh Bellamy from the Bears. Um, Jamison Crowder from the Redskins. I think that's about it. And then obviously Le'Veon Bell. They also added Tom Compton from the Vikings, who isn't great, but he's he's still an upgrade um, at guard. So I mean, it, it kind of makes sense to trade back, but at the same time, depending who's available at three, it's hard to pass it up. I mean, if Bosa and Quinnen are both gone, then you kind of, I don't know, it depends how you value people. I mean, you could easily look at this team and say, okay, so get Josh Allen, and that would be huge, because they do need pass rusher. It's just a matter of whether you think Josh Allen is solid at three, and then you can also look at the, I guess that's kind of the second part of the question, but looking at the odds, I think if I'm the Jets, I don't know how far back I want to go, and if, if all right, so let, let's run through our option. If quarterback goes number one, that means Bosa and or Quinnen will be available. Do you take them? I think the answer has to be yes. They do have some defensive tackles that are pretty talented. Steve McClendon, pretty solid run defender. Leonard Williams, decent player, kind of well-rounded run defender, pass rush guy. Henry Anderson, pretty good football player. But they've already talked about possibly getting rid of Leonard Williams. It's the last year of his contract this year. They were, it looks like they were trying to trade him. They're paying him $14 million this year. I don't think, and it, it makes sense, $14 million is too much for his, his abilities. He's decent. But they drafted him really high to come in and be a freak. And at this point, he's not worth $14 million. Nobody was willing to bite because they didn't want to pay him. But he's probably gone. Beyond that, who cares? Quinnen Williams is heads and tails better than everybody else. He comes in and he is a freak. And he is the best pass rusher on your team. He is the best run defender on your team. He's the best possibly defender on your team. I mean, you know, you got some good safeties. But outside of that real good chance he's the best player and even better than your safeties possible so I think you take him and if, if it's Bosa yeah I think you take Bosa as well so if, if, if it's quarterback and then Quinnen then you would probably take Bosa because your your pass rushers are trash and you're a 3-4 team but still I, you're not going to pass on Bosa who's one of the more freaky pass rushers to come out in a while a, a clear top pass rushing option just because well I don't know he's better hand in the dirt whatever fine then put put his hand in the dirt whatever he needs to do to get the quarterback just have him do that who cares how he stands make him do what he needs to do to get to the quarterback so in my opinion if a quarterback goes number one or number two for whatever reason which I doubt would ever happen unless the 49ers move up and some weird stuff happen I don't whatever then I think the Jets stay the only question would be if a quarterback doesn't go and those two guys are gone what do you do I think Josh Allen is a pretty good option 
It's just a matter of, is he a really good value at three? But they definitely could use somebody like Josh Allen. They're a 3-4 defense. Josh Allen is a stud. It makes sense. But are you really going to prioritize offense? And if so, are you going to trade down? And then the question is, who are you trading with? And again, I think the biggest thing is to find a trade partner. Because remember, there's a quarterback still on the board. That's how we got here. So if you're going to find a trade partner, it's somebody that's going to move up that wants a quarterback. And that team is going to pay a ton, which is something else to consider at this point. A team willing to move up to three is willing to pay a lot of money, probably more than the Packers are willing to do to get a guy like Josh Allen. Definitely more than we should be paying for a guy like Josh Allen. And remember, even money, our first two picks get us up to about four. But you also pay a premium to move up into that top five. You're, you're paying you know, not just the equal value. You're paying equal value plus you know, whatever, plus whatever it is. So getting up to three is going to be very, very expensive. And again, with Oakland sitting on the board at four, I'm willing to bet a good amount of money. They're, They're very seriously considering a quarterback at four. So if you're, let's say the Giants, or if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, or whoever, you're, you're very seriously considering leapfrogging Oakland at four. So I guess the, the, the other interesting question, if I were to elaborate on this even more, is what's the earliest that you could see the Packers moving up? I don't think the Packers do anything super psychotic, especially as deep as this defensive uh, defensive front is with pass rushers and whatever, going into the top three at all. I don't think the Oakland Raiders are going to move their spot at all. The Buccaneers, though, I would say is a maybe. As many needs as this team has with a with a new quarterback coming in, they absolutely have to work on this offensive line. They could use a pass rusher, but again, it kind of depends on value. If Josh Allen is there, are we going to pass on him? Probably not. But what if we can get the Packers two first round picks and instead of getting Josh Allen, we get Brian Burns or Montez Sweat, who I know he has a heart issue, but as far as I know now, there's nothing super serious about it. So we still get a pass rusher, but we also get pick 30 and we can get a safety, which we need. We can get a linebacker, which we desperately need. We can get a a cornerback, which we need. We can get an offensive lineman, which we need. And we have a lot of needs that can be satisfied at 12 and 30. Now, am I a super big fan of that as a Packers fan? Not really, but I could see it happening. And then the question is, what are we moving up for? Well, let's go back to our example here. Quinnen and Bosa go one and two. The Jets trade out of the spot with, let's just say, the Jacksonville Jaguars, because who cares? Who take a quarterback, and then we move up. What are we doing? We're taking Josh Allen at five. Now, the only real problem I have with that is we're we're giving away a lot, not just for a pass rusher when there's a lot of pass rushers available, but we also just paid a bunch of money for pass rushers. So now, in terms of total investment in pass rushers, we paid a ton of money to Preston Smith, a ton of money to Zadarius Smith, and we gave away two first-round picks to get Josh Allen. That's a lot for pass rushers. And again, we're, we're, we're going to have two on a field at, at, at a time. So I don't necessarily like it. I don't necessarily know that it would happen. I think part of the, the benefit of being able to do what we did in free agency is that so that we don't have to do a thing like that. And then the question becomes, getting a little further into it, who would we trade up for or what position would we trade up for? Well, I don't really think there are that many good options. I've already stated my desire to get Quinnen Williams or Nick Bosa, especially Quinnen. But I think if by some miracle, either of these two were to make it into a range where we could possibly get them, third dance party, that was an hour, by the way, that would be something I'd be willing to do. Adding Quinnen Williams, adding Nick Bosa just takes this whole thing to another level. Having Nick Bosa and Zadarius Smith with Preston Smith as a rotational guy unbelievable. Having Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith along with uh, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, and Quinnen Williams is just ridiculous. 
And the idea that we wouldn't have a better pass rush at that point than the Bears is silly, because we would. But even so, I, I just don't know how that's possible, unless we, again, throw away a ton to move up to three. Because the best I can see is somebody trades up with Arizona to take a quarterback, then San Francisco, which I don't really understand it, but they're probably going to take Nick Bose. I mean, I, I do get it. Because the fact of the matter is they just don't, they have a lot of guys that they invested as pass rushers. Everyone says they don't have pass rushers. They do, they're just not very good. Eric Armstead was drafted as a defensive end. He was put in as a defensive end and he's just terrible at it. So this would give him two pass rushers. Then again, if the Jets trade out and somebody wants to trade up to three for a quarterback, which is really unlikely, but let's just say it happened, then you've got Oakland and I just, I have a hard time seeing them not taking Quinn. And I think this is best case scenario because number one, I could see Oakland doing something kind of crazy. Number two, if they have any redeemable qualities on this defense, it's probably their defensive line with guys like Maurice Hurst. Now, they're probably not going to do something crazy like DK Metcalf, which everybody's kind of speculated, because they got Antonio Brown, even though it's possible, I don't really see that. But could they possibly take a flyer on Josh Allen? I just, I don't know. I just don't see it. I mean, the, the, the quote about interior pass rush that I gave on the podcast came from the GM of the Oakland Raiders, uh, Mr. Mike Mayock. And what he said was he talked with every top quarterback in the NFL. Every single one of them said the hardest thing to deal with is interior pass rush. You're telling me that guy isn't going to take one of the best interior pass rushers that has come out of the the the, uh, the college game since Aaron Donald? I just don't see it, man. And I don't want to trade up for Josh Allen. The only thing I can maybe see is a mini trade up if we're kind of if that sort of tier is deteriorating. But I mean, be, beyond Josh Allen, I, I feel like we're already in that tier. I mean, everybody has their own personal preference of of who is who's still elite and who's still available and all that kind of stuff. But in general, I don't know. There's nobody that's like over the moon. Even Josh Allen, there's some concerns. You know, Ed Oliver, some people would say is worth it, but I'd rather sit at 12 and maybe take a flyer there because there's a lot of question marks. You know, Devin White being a linebacker and he has a bunch of question marks. Montez Sweat, a lot of question marks. Big pool of offensive linemen. I mean, it really, I mean, if I was drafting five or even four, I would really hate that spot because what do you do? I mean, let's say the, the draft just goes Quinnen, Bosa, Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, just one, two, three, four. Now you're picking at five. What are you going to do? You're going to take Devin White at five? You're going to take Rashawn Gary? I mean, assuming you don't need a quarterback, what are you going to Are you going to take Montez Sweat at five? Give me a name of a non-quarterback that you would take at five. Jonah Williams, Jawan Taylor, DK Metcalf, Cleveland Furl, TJ Hawkinson, Greedy Williams, Christian Wilkins, Brian Burns, Byron Murphy, uh, Devin Bush, Josh Jacobs. DeAndre Baker, Andre Dillard, Cody Ford, Ja'Kai Polite, anybody? I don't know if I want any of those guys at 5. Now, a lot of them are decent at 12, but also that's also why I said trading back wouldn't be the worst thing because those guys would be good at 12. They'd be even better at 15 or 20. But it just feels like there's a massive drop-off. Like there's Quinnen and Bosa that are way at the top. Then you drop and you get Josh Allen and Ed Oliver and Devin White or whoever. You know, you, you kind of mix and match whoever you feel like belongs in that category. I'm not really sure who I put in that category. Maybe you put Burns in there, maybe you don't, I don't know. After that, it's just a mishmash, man. I mean, guys that are that are talked about at 12, I don't know if there's guys at 30 I wouldn't prefer. Like, I mean, think about it. Devin White. Some people think he's super, super awesome. Some people can't even agree he's the, the best linebacker in the class. Devin Bush, who's seen as a late first-round guy, some people think he's better than Devin White. Montez Sweat. How good is he? Can he bend? How bad is his heart condition? I mean, Jonah. I mean, are you going to take him at 5? Would you take him at 12? Would you take him at 30? Where is he going to go? Would you rather have him or Cody Ford, who on my board right now is 24th? Who would you be more excited about? Cleland Furl? 
Or if we got a guy like Nasir Adderley at 44. I don't know. I mean, just look at it this way. Let's say we get Jonah Williams at 12. We get Noah Fant at 30. And we get Taylor Rapp at 44. Do you think there would even be a consensus which of those three is the best? Especially if you put it in the context of who's going to have the biggest impact on this team? I, I don't really know how to even rank them, much less to ask you the question, how much better is Jonah Williams than Taylor Rapp? Who's going to have a bigger impact this year between the three? Who's going to better have a better career as a Packer between the three? Who's going to be a better rookie? Which is exactly why I say a tradeback isn't the worst option, because it's just a pile. It's just a pile of guys that are probably going to be awesome and be able to come in and, and, and fit in. And again, if we can trade back and get four picks in the top 50, so that instead of that, let's tra- say we trade back to 20, and we get Devin Bush at 20, so that would be with Pittsburgh. So let's say we get their pick 52. So we get Devin Bush at 20, Fant at 30, Rap at 44, and Zach Allen at 52, or Chris Lindstrom at guard. I mean, it's just, yeah, awesome flubbing awesome. I'll take that option, thank you very much. Because four in the top 50 is better than three in the top 50 with one of them being a 12. So, and I've said this before, but just to give you an idea, I know a lot of people are concerned about trading up. I just don't see the value in it. I think the value just plummets after the top two guys. Maybe if one of the top two guys falls to, to five, sure, well, let's talk about it. If he falls to four and maybe Oakland's willing to be receptive because they want to have four picks in the top in the first round okay which maybe they would be because they know they could trade back up do something similar to what we did to you know the saints we'll trade back we'll take your first and then we'll trade back up and give up like a third or something i don't know anyways i gotta go i am i am running late running late it's always fun theorizing with you folks hope you all enjoy your thursday i'll be back tomorrow on friday this is my jamaican slash Gone, I? But enjoy your day. I'll talk to you.